Coming up on The Exam Room. It was back in the late 1940s when researchers decided maybe heart attacks don't have to happen. Let's see if we can understand the risk factors. And they discovered that if you lose weight, if your blood pressure comes down, if you have high cholesterol and it can come down, all of these things can affect your risk and in a really big way. But so then ever after, in all the decades that followed, the question was, well, how do you do that? Do you take a drug to lose weight or to get your cholesterol down? Or do you follow a low-carb diet or you try to starve the weight off? Or, or what should you actually do? And so what came in just now is looking at plant-based diets. And they looked at vegetarian diets, but especially vegan diets, vegan low-fat diets. And they found if you zero in on three big targets, one is how much you weigh, the other is how high is your cholesterol, and the third is what about diabetes and blood glucose control? If you want to tackle all those, this is the diet that hits every one of those points simultaneously. And when you you extrapolate all of that data from all of the studies, we're looking at data from close to 2,000 people from all across the U.S., Asia, Europe, New Zealand. I would think that with that large of a sample size, the findings here are going to be pretty hard to poke holes in. It's really quite definitive. I mean, that's why that's why the American Medical Association wants to put its name on this journal and say this is something that everybody needs to know about. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Spokane, Washington, Clarksville, Tennessee, and Khartoum, Sudan. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 65 of season 6, number 461 overall. Every 33 seconds in the United States, someone will die of cardiovascular disease. That breaks down to 109 people per hour, more than 2,600 per day, and more than 18,300 per week. And over the course of a year, it's 955,000. But you do not have to be that statistic. That does not have to be your fate, no matter how high your risk is of cardiovascular disease. Because today we are going to be talking about eating to save your life. Because it is a fact, as will be evidence, that the leading cause of death may have met its match based on a new meta-analysis of nearly 2,000 people and three decades worth of research. And many of these people were at high risk of cardiovascular disease. Some even already had it. And researchers say what they found for the first time proves definitively that what you eat matters and the diet that you choose is profound medicine. They say, that the infusion of plant-based foods and a significant reduction in meat and dairy and eggs can power your heart back up and restore your health. And they say vegetarian diets, including vegan diets, offer the biggest benefit. So it's true, we have known for a long time that these diets have been healthy. So 
Really though, what are we learning for the first time? That is a fair question to ask. Why are the researchers saying for the first time we're able to definitively declare this? And with those answers, looking at the exciting results is Dr. Neil Barnard. He was my guest on The Exam Room Live this week. And as a reminder, you can join us every Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel or Facebook page to watch live and ask our experts your questions in real time. And so Dr. Barnard was kind enough to join us, answer questions from The Exam Roomies this week, and talk about this groundbreaking study. And it all begins in about... 30 seconds. Today's episode of The Exam Room Live is powered by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. You can visit them online right now at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. All right, let's get rolling and learn how to eat to save your life right now with Dr. Neil Barnard. Great to see you. Great to see you, Chuck. This is a big show that we have on top here today. We've got this big meta-analysis with these groundbreaking results. And then also today, we're going to be talking about another interesting heart-related study. And that one has to do with hypertension, high blood pressure, and alcohol that uh, I'm sure a lot of people are going to sit up and pay attention to as well. So a lot of ground to cover. Let's start, though, with this big meta-analysis on cardiovascular disease and really pointing to some positive findings for people who are at high risk, who already may have cardiovascular disease, and a significant difference when they began to eat a vegan or a vegetarian diet. What does this analysis show? This is really a, such an important analysis. It appeared in JAMA Network Open, which is a huge journal that, that all the doctors and scientists read. And it, to, to kind of give you the long arc of this, it was back in the late 1940s when researchers decided maybe heart attacks don't have to happen. Let's see if we can understand the risk factors. And they discovered that if you lose weight, if your blood pressure comes down, if you have high cholesterol and it can come down, all of these things can affect your risk and in a really big way. But so then ever after, in all the decades that followed, the question was, well, how do you do that? Do you take a drug to lose weight or to get your cholesterol down? Or do you follow a low-carb diet or you try to starve the weight off? Or, or what should you actually do? And so what came in just now is looking at plant-based diets. And they looked at vegetarian diets, but especially vegan diets, vegan low-fat diets. And they found if you zero in on three big targets, one is how much you weigh, the other is how high is your cholesterol, and the third is what about diabetes and blood glucose control? If you want to, to tackle all those, this is the diet that hits every one of those points simultaneously. So plant-based diet brings down your weight, brings down your cholesterol, brings down your blood sugar into a healthier range. So that, anyway, that's the, that's the headline. And uh, it's true. Um, but by the way, you mentioned, Chuck, that a lot of the work was done here. Uh, out of the 20 studies they thought were the most important to zero in on, our team had done eight of them. So um, <laughs> Kudos to the to the research team here and Dr. Kaliova in particular. And when you you extrapolate all of that data from all of the studies, uh, eight, our eight plus the other twelve, um, we're looking at 
data from close to 2,000 people um, from all across the U.S., Asia, Europe, New Zealand, but then also spanning three decades, so three decades worth of research. Um, I would think that with that large of a sample size, the findings here are going to be pretty hard to poke holes in. Yeah, um, it's it's really quite definitive. I mean, that's why that's why the American Medical Association wants to put its name on this journal and say this is something that everybody needs really needs to know about. Now, I should say this, though. Um, the differences that you're going to get, say, in body weight or cholesterol, they're going to depend in part on where you're starting. So let's say somebody is already really quite thin and they adopt a plant-based diet. They are not going to lose a huge amount of weight. They may lose, lose nothing at all because they're already where they need to be. But if you have somebody who's got a lot of weight to lose, then that's the person where you're going to see a really big change. And the reason that matters is that in meta-analyses like this, they will try to crunch the numbers and come into sort of an average weight loss that you can expect if you make a diet change. But you've got to interpret it based on where you are now. That's also true with if you got a high cholesterol, it's going to fall. If you've already got a great cholesterol, fair enough. doesn't need to change. Uh, same thing with your blood glucose values. The researchers here talked a lot about this being, um, for the first time, you know, looking at this data. And they talked specifically about observational studies versus the findings that we have with this compilation of 20 studies altogether. So walk us through what's the difference between an observational study and what we have here and why that makes such a profound difference. Right. An observational study is where you have people who are making their own diet choices. And as the years go by, you might notice that people who are eating more vegetables and fruits, people who eat more beans and grains, people with more fiber in their diets, they're going to tend to have a lower body weight compared to other people. People who pick a vegan diet are going to tend to be slimmer than people who are, who are eating meat and fish and that kind of stuff. Um, but that sort of generates a hypothesis. Uh, it looks like this vegan diet is good, but let's put it to the test. And that's what happens here is you bring in people who are not yet doing a healthy diet and you randomly assign them to exactly the diet you want to test versus no change. And then you're starting at square zero, so to speak, and then you're looking at the effects as the weeks roll out. And that's really the basically the, the, the gold standard for research, and that's what they've shown. So you can bring in people who need to lose weight, you put them on a plant-based diet, a vegan diet, and then you see these results that are just crystal clear and the same thing for cholesterol, same thing for glucose. All right, now let's talk about the different kinds of diets that they looked at here. The headline in the study is vegetarian, but that, you know, there's uh, many different kinds of vegetarian diets. I know that um, perhaps researchers looked uh, primarily here, I believe, at lacto-ovo-vegetarian, lacto-vegetarian, and of course, vegan diets. Is it important here that there were such a wide variety of vegetarian diets included in this study? I think this has been a useful thing to look at because uh, going back to the Adventist Health Study, they noticed something really important, that vegetarians, whatever what, the idea you're not eating meat, um, vegetarians tended to be thinner and they had lower risk of diabetes. But what if you take the vegetarian group and you split them into ovo-lacto-vegetarians, people who are having milk and having eggs, and those who don't have those at all, people following a totally vegan diet? you see a huge difference. The vegans are much more likely to be at a healthy body weight. And then when you look at diabetes risk, same story. A vegetarian diet is a great uh, step away from a meaty diet. But when you go to from vegetarian to vegan, meaning the cheese comes off your plate um, and the, the eggs come off your plate, 
then you see this huge difference where the vegans are at much lower risk of diabetes. So you can bring that into the lab as we do, bring in people and use what is for all intents and purposes as close to a perfect diet as you can get. No animal products, keeping oils low. That seems to really be the silver bullet for for cutting down these uh, risk factors for heart disease. Now, when we're talking about cutting down risk factors for any kind of disease today, heart disease or looking to see any kind of health improvement, it's always a question for a lot of people, how quick can this happen for me? And when we're talking about this meta-analysis in particular, you look at these studies, um, you look at, it shows that the mean duration of the dietary intervention was about 25 weeks. So that's about six months, half of the year. Um, how quickly do you think people can expect to see some improvement? Because I always, Dr. Barnard, love to answer that question so they don't get deflated if they step on the scale on day two and they haven't seen 50 pounds come off, you, you know? Well, the reason you want to do a longer study is you want to see what the effects are going to be as, as, as time goes on and see you know, how far can we go. But where the effects start, back in 19, around 1990 or thereabouts, or maybe even the late 80s, I was talking with Dr. Dean Ornish's patients. He, as you know, Dean did a marvelous study where he brought in people who had narrowed arteries and he put them on plant-based diet along with no smoking and, and mild exercise and stress reduction. And he tracked them over a long period of time, tracked them for five years. However, I talked with all the participants in the study. I interviewed all of them and their chest pain was gone within the first month or thereabouts. I mean, so I mean, the results were very, very strong. These are people who had serious heart disease and within a matter of weeks, they felt much better. So, but if you then go back earlier and say, well, when, when did your, your weight start coming down? You can see weight coming down within the very first week, sometimes within the very first couple of days. And with regard to blood sugar results, we actually just recently began a new diabetes study. When patients come in to our studies with diabetes and we're going to tackle their blood sugar, you have to let them know that they may see results tomorrow in their blood sugar results. And the reason is, the reason you have to warn them is they may be taking insulin or some other drug that is pushing their blood sugar down and if the diet is so powerful that it can push their blood sugar down too, that combination can be too strong. My point is that the results are really fast. They began. They begin really on day one. And you're talking about Dr. Ornish's research. I'm curious, like, how how have we been able to progress his findings that were so landmark some time ago? How have meta-analysis such as the ones we're talking about today really pushed forward everything that he found or solidified his research in your opinion? Yes, well, I think several things have happened. One is, first of all, as you're touching on, the, the evidence base has become just super strong. I mean, we, we clearly know that a plant-based diet is the diet of choice for all these heart disease risk factors, not just for prevention, but for turning it around, the arteries start opening up. When you look at them on an angiogram, you see these narrowed arteries starting to get wider, which is remarkable because, because it's not just in the heart. It's in the arteries to the brain, the rest of the body too. And so that's erectile dysfunction going away, getting better, sexual function returning, blood supply to the brain returning, uh, blood supply to the heart returning. That's why the, the chest pain goes away, but your whole body rejuvenates. So the first thing just to say is that the evidence is now very, very strong and these effects are, are really predictable. But the second thing is that the diet has sort of evolved. When Dr. Ornish started doing later studies and he was looking at, say, men with prostate cancer, he started to, the, the initial studies would allow a little bit of dairy 
And then with the prostate cancer study and others, it's really, let's just leave the dairy out. Because when you do that, then there's no animal fat left. Um, everything you eat is plant-derived and it's got fiber and the healthy nutrients in it. So, so the, the, the diet now really is, is a plant-based diet that we're pretty much all talking about. All right. If there's a question that you have for Dr. Barnard, go ahead, post that in the comments or in the chat. We're going to open up the doctor's mailbag in just a little bit. But, um, you know, we're talking about just this enormous volume of research that's out there. And it reminds me of a conversation I was having recently, an interview, actually, uh, with a cancer survivor who was talking about when he was first diagnosed with prostate cancer, that he was given this big manual of, you know, the do's and the don'ts. But the doctor, his doctor, told him flat out, you don't even have to bother reading the chapter on nutrition and diet because it doesn't matter. And I'm just curious why that opinion still can be so pervasive in the medical community, despite the fact that on a daily basis, we are being bombarded with all of this new research that does in fact show that a diet matters and it matters to an extreme extent. I think doctors stating that kind of opinion could have been forgiven um, 15 or 20 years ago, um, something like that, because the, the, the data for some conditions really were more modest. Um, and, and in fact, when people made diet changes, they would s switch from red meat to white meat. They would take the skin off their chicken and then they would discover, gee, this, I didn't lose any weight. I'm eating skinless chicken breast and it's not helping or my cholesterol is not dropping or I'm not really losing weight, whatever. What has happened is that from this dismal scenario that, that these diets don't work, people started trying better diets. And so when you take the red meat and the chicken and put them both in the trash can and you're eating grains and beans and vegetables and fruits in a natural form, suddenly you're giving the body the nutrients it needs to, uh, to, to really flourish. And so people do dramatically better. Now, the, the, the reason to perhaps be a little bit less charitable to doctors who give that kind of advice today is the fact of the matter is the evidence is now overwhelming that diet matters. It matters probably more than any other uh, part of your, your demographics. And when people put that power to work, the results are huge. Doctors have not gotten the message in their medical training. It's not really part of medical school and not enough of continuing medical education. As, as you know, we're working to change that. But for now, a lot of doctors are um, kind of out of the loop on the things that really matter the most. And the cool thing also about the age that we live in is that it's not just doctors any longer that have access to these studies. Literally everybody can access it at their fingertips at any time. And that brings us to a question from Dab's Kitchen at 1214, which is just such a great one. How can the common person tell which studies hold more credibility and which ones are just a fluke? Wow, what a, what a great question. And, and I, I got to tell you, I feel your pain because sometimes it's really hard to know. You'll see some new new study, you know, peanut brittle will cause weight loss or something like that, you know, <laughs> funded, funded by the Peanut Brittle Manufacturers Association. Um, so it's, it's really hard to know. But some of the clues are, you know, the, the, the better the journal, um, a journal you've heard of, that's often better than one where it's a small or kind of fly-by-night journal. Um, the reason I say that is there has been a huge proliferation of really low budget journals nowadays that are not in it for the science, they're in it for the money. They, 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 they charge a fee to the authors to publish their studies and you really can't depend on, on them very well. Um, so that's the first thing. 
Um, the second thing is, is look who were the researchers, where they had a credible place and doing good work. But beyond that, you also have to just pass the sniff test. Um, is it likely that something like this really could be true? We've all seen studies where people have tried to say that you can eat a lot of fatty foods and lose weight. And, and over, over time, those claims sort of fall away because they don't really hold up to subsequent research. A uh, question from Joe Ordinary, 1222, going back to the kinds of vegetarian diets that were included in this meta-analysis, some of which still did include eggs and dairy. So Joe is wondering, um, because he counts so heavily on milk and eggs for protein, what are some good plant-based healthier options that someone might look at? Oh, what a wonderful question. I'm glad you raised it because our, our question about protein has really shifted. The old idea was, are you getting enough protein? Well, the answer is, you are. If you're, if you're eating vegetables, fruits, grains, beans, and, and the products that, that they're made into, you're getting easily an adequate amount of protein as long as you're having a, a normal variety of these, these healthy foods. So you're going to be fine. Um, but if you're replacing milk, if you replace it with any of these foods, the beans, the grains, the vegetables, the fruits, you're, you're going to be getting the protein that's in those foods. If you want a little extra, soy milk is a really good substitute for cow's milk. The protein content is about the same. And soy is associated with reduced risk of breast cancer, reduced risk of prostate cancer. So that's a, that's a good switch if you want to make it. All right. Um, All right. Um, let's take a question here from Mentary at 12.23. Wondering about nuts and cholesterol. We were talking about cholesterol here uh, a little bit ago. I'm vegan and I eat about two ounces of nuts every day, but my overall cholesterol just does not want to go below 190. Could the nuts perhaps be to blame, Dr. Barnard? Well, first of all, if your total cholesterol is 190, that's not a terrible figure. Um, the average cholesterol in America is much higher than that. Um, and so what I would zero in, so first of all, that's not terrible. Um, the second thing is zero in on your LDL cholesterol. That's the bad cholesterol. And that's the one you want to keep at kind of south of 100. Um, the lower you can bring that, the better. That's the number to really zero in on. So have a look there. Nuts are not going to raise your LDL cholesterol. Um, but, they, but nuts can sometimes slow down body weight loss for people who are trying to lose weight. Nuts are really one of the few plant-based foods that's got a fair number of calories packed into all that fat that's in there. So you might want to set them aside if that is an issue. But nuts are not going to raise your cholesterol. In fact, they were part of the portfolio diet. Do you remember this? Uh, David Jenkins, years ago, brought people into a study, put them on a vegan diet, but he focused on soluble fiber like oats, soy products like tofu, nuts like almonds, and he could knock down their cholesterol by about 30% in four weeks' time. So the nuts were part of that, and they're not going to get in your way with regard to cholesterol. And let's talk a little bit more about this. You know, from time to time, we do hear from people who are eating a, a pretty clean diet, but for whatever reason, their cholesterol, their cholesterol is just stubborn. And I think back to one of the things that really stood out to me when we first started doing the exam room, and like every episode was like, I'm learning 10 different new things every time. And one of which was the body produces its own cholesterol. And you explained to me at that point that some people actually produce more cholesterol than others. How will a person know whether their body is just a big time cholesterol factory more than it should be? Um, is there a test that somebody can take for that? Okay, great question. No, there's no test that you can take um, and there's no blood test that you can do. Um, but it's true that your body makes cholesterol 
you also absorb cholesterol from the eggs or meat or cheese that you're eating, but your body makes a lot of cholesterol. And so the, the, the way to discover, all right, do I have a genetically determined problem or, or is this something I can really tackle is take about two months, eight weeks, be on as perfect a diet as you can. And if at the eight weeks, eight week point, your cholesterol has not dropped, then your problem is genes. Um, but now what is a perfect diet? A perfect diet is not just vegan. Vegan means there's no animal products. That's good. That means there's no cholesterol in your diet and there's not much animal fat. Swell. But look around for tropical oils, palm oil, coconut oil. I don't care how natural they are marketed as being. They are loaded with saturated fat and they're going to drive your cholesterol up. So they can be added to peanut butter. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Check the label and it's peanuts with palm oil added. It's, and coconut oil is added to lots of things and it's called natural and organic and everything else, but it's loaded with saturated fat that'll get in the way. So take eight weeks, no animal products, no coconut oil, not coconut milk, get that out. Same with palm oil, then see how you do. Um, and there are a few hidden, other hidden sources of saturated fat. I'm going to break your heart. Uh, chocolate, for example, a lot of saturated fat. When you're trying to really drive it down to see, is this genetic or not? Set those things aside. Eight weeks is enough time to see. Uh, you're just talking about peanut butter, and that brings up a question from George, Dr. Barnard at 1217, wondering whether a small amount of organic, no-salt-added peanut butter is okay as part of a healthy, whole-food, plant-based diet. Sure. I mean, you take peanuts, you grind them up, you get peanut butter. Fair enough. Uh, and peanuts really have very little saturated fat in them. Now, that's the good part. The negative part is, as I was mentioning earlier, that if you didn't make it, the factory made it, they may have well have added a whole bunch of stuff. They will, they'll add sugar if it's the low fat variety and they'll add palm oil if they want to make it sort of extra creamy. So those are going to get in your way and you don't want to buy those at all. The other thing is that nuts are really fatty. So as I mentioned earlier, they're going to get in the way if you're trying to lose weight and they might interfere a little bit with hormonal issues. You've heard me talk about how getting away from fatty foods is really important for young women dealing with menstrual pain or women dealing with menopausal symptoms. Cutting down on fat is part of the solution there too. Same for diabetes. Getting away from fat helps bring our blood sugar control into, better, into a better range. And we had another exam room wondering about powdered peanut butter, PB2, and whether um, that kind of may fall under the same guise of everything it was you were just talking about. No, PB2 is fine. Uh, and by the way, you may not see it in the peanut butter aisle. It might be over in the baking aisle. They, what they've done is they've taken peanuts, extracted the fat, and it's a powder. And you can reconstitute it with a little water and it. You can spread it on bread or you can use it in the muffins you're making or whatever. So no, PB2 is, and, and there's a couple of competing brands, perfectly fine. I have never tried that. I might try that now. The PB2. Yeah, it's a cool thing. Yeah, PB, okay. P, PB2 and there's a couple other brands too. Uh, look over in the baking aisle, you'll see it the sequel to peanut butter, PB2. Uh, all right. Uh, talking about peanut butter, which I loved. And now let's talk about Taco Bell, which I really loved back in the day. But this question is for you again. <laughs> Dab at twelve twelve, full of questions today. What are Dr. Barnard's thoughts on plant-based Taco Bell? Is it okay to have a fast food bean burrito every day? And I'm going to underscore every day there, Doc. Okay. All right. Well, first of all, there are quite a number of things over at Taco Bell and at every other taco place that you never want to touch. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Where they put meat in there, they put cheese in there, they put all these things in there that are just calorie bombs and cholesterol bombs. You want to get away from them. Okay, so you're already with me on that. 
So let's say you take the bean burrito, hold the cheese. What is it? It's a tortilla with some beans inside. And you can add lettuce and tomatoes and all those things are fine. Uh, So I wouldn't worry about those things. The only kind of negative is when the beans are made. It's not just beans. They very often add some oils to it. And that's going to get in the way a little bit. So the bean burrito, by far the best choice um, than anything else. But to the extent the oils are added, that's going to uh, reduce the advantage uh, that you're going to have. And, and with almost all of the taco places, they have a bean burrito that you can treat in that way. Best thing on the menu, but not quite as good as making your own at home. All right. Uh, I, I, there's another study I want to ask you about here in just a second about uh, high blood pressure and alcohol that's breaking. It kind of ties right into what it is we've been talking about today here for heart health. But before we do, I'm going to go back to coconuts. We were talking about coconut oil and wanting to avoid that uh, over the course of recent shows. May have even come up a little bit earlier today. But MeQ at 1216 has a question about coconut milk, Dr. Barnard. Wondering whether coconut milk extracted from coconut Coconut meat also should be avoided entirely. Is that the same, in your opinion, as coconut oil? Yeah, I would. I would avoid it. Um, you go into what used to be called the dairy aisle, where they have not just dairy milk, but they'll have soy milk, rice milk, oat milk, almond milk, and coconut milk. Turn the cartons around and look at the total fat content, and then look at here's your magic number. Look at how much of that total fat is saturated fat. Saturated fat is the bad fat. That's the one that raises your cholesterol. That's the one linked to Alzheimer's disease. And what you will see is that in the soy milk or the oat milk or the almond milk, there are traces of fat, very little saturated fat. The coconut oil, it's virtually all saturated fat. So coconut oil, great for uh, you know shining your shoes, waxing your hair. I wouldn't eat it at all. So the coconut oil is bad, but the coconut milk has the coconut oil in it. And that's the problem. It does. I mean, it really does work well for shining your shoes. Not only <laughs> will they have that high shine, they will never smell better. I'm telling you, they have that tropical vibe. Um, let's. <laughs> oh boy, that's just funny. Um, let's uh, move on here and talk about this other study. Uh, one that looked at close to 20,000 people and the effect that alcohol has on hypertension. And now you might think, that having a drink at the end of the day to unwind, alleviate a lot of that stress would actually lower your blood pressure. But what this study found, Dr. Barnard, was quite the opposite and that alcohol is almost a surefire way to get your blood pressure raised up a little bit. This is a really good study. It was published by the American Heart Association in its journal, Hypertension. And what they did is they looked at a variety of populations, Asian populations, North American populations, they looked at men, they looked at women. They looked at people who had no alcohol in their diet, people who would have, you know, a drink every couple days, a drink every day, two, three, four, and and all right on up. And what they found was very clear, very predictable, really linear meaning that if you, the the more alcohol you have, the more your blood pressure is going to rise over time. Now, so the bad news is that if you like to unwind with a drink, it's going to raise your blood pressure over time. The good news is that it didn't, uh, well, I don't know if this is good, it, it affected different populations differently. So if you're a woman uh, from North America, the effect for you was a little bit less than a man from North America. If you're in, uh, in an Asian country, for some reason, the risk was a little higher. There are some genetic differences in how um, the alcohol byproducts are processed in people of Asian uh, heritage compared to people of uh, European heritage. Uh, For folks from Asia, they often have a little bit more difficulty getting rid of the alcohol breakdown products. 
So bottom line, the effect wasn't huge, but the effect was clearly predictable that you could see a person who's having alcohol as part of their routine. You look at them down the road and they've got maybe an extra five, six, seven points on their blood pressure compared to somebody else. Yeah, I I, I want to take a, a closer look at the study. And I'm wondering like if it's all forms of alcohol had kind of the equal effect, um, you know, whether it was beer, or spirits, wine, whatever the case may be. I wonder if that had an equal impact. I don't know if the researchers were able to look that closely at it. Do you know off the top of your head? Yeah, great, great question. Um, it, it really is just the alcohol content. So beer is more dilute compared to spirits. Um, wine is kind of between the two. Um, so it, it has to do with the absolute amount of alcohol that you're taking. The more, the more you take in, the frankly, the worse it is for your blood pressure. But you know, there's another piece of this, Chuck, and that, and that's that we've all haven't we all kind of gotten mixed messages about alcohol. Um, alcohol might be good for the heart, might reduce the risk of Alzheimer's disease. Some evidence supports both of those statements. But if it's beyond even a modest use, then all those problems become much much higher. And then the one that's gotten on all of our radars in the past couple of years is cancer risk, which goes up starting with one drink a day, breast cancer, colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, and lots of others. So, so our, our party hats are, are uh, kind of coming off rather rapidly. <laughs> that's certainly one way to put it. And you're right. It is majorly confusing. It's enough to make your head spin with all of this conflicting information out there, especially, you know, for years, we were told a little bit of red wine, great for the heart. Yeah. That does not appear to be the case as evidenced by this study. Um, Want to take a second to give a shout out to Flash Hawk, who's watching right now on YouTube, posted this at 1217. This is great. Since I've been uh, eating a vegan plant-based diet, lost 30 pounds, my blood pressure is down, and my LDLs are down as well. That's awesome. And that just, you know, it just goes to point to exactly everything we've been talking about here today. It got to make you feel good as a physician to know that what it is we're talking about on these shows, Dr. Barnard, really is helping people out, changing. And as we said in the title of the show, people are eating to save their life. That's big time stuff. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's terrific to hear. And, and thank you, by the way, for, share, for sharing that comment. It's wonderful to hear. And it's wonderful in, in one more way. If you had achieved those results by taking some new set of medications that your doctor gave you, fair enough. Um, that can be helpful for some people. But if you do it with a diet and lifestyle change, the beauty of that is that's something you can share. You can share that with the rest of your family. You can share it with your kids. If they grow up learning those things from the get-go, they may never stumble into these problems in the first place. You can't share with them your Lipitor prescription, but you can share your new vegan casserole and your new vegan breakfast and those kinds of things. So you can become a lifesaver too. Absolutely. And Jen right now is trying to save her life and she is confused about all of this conflicting information that we've been talking about. Um, she says, she said this to me on Instagram at Chuck Carroll WLC. She wrote in said, I'm trying to lose 50 pounds. And I know that a plant-based diet is the best way to do it. I have a weight loss coach, but she is not plant-based and she is very pro-protein. She's big on eggs. She's big on chicken. She's really big on turkey. And my question, Dr. Barnard, is how can I feel satiated? Like, unfortunately, I do feel after eating these higher protein foods while not eating more than the 1,700 calories per day that my weight loss coach is recommending. So satiety and plant-based based diets. How can Jen go about that and achieve her weight loss goals? Well, you might want to start 
looking around for a new coach. Um, <laughs> there are plenty of people out there who are experts in plant-based diets. Um, our food for life instructors, and if you go to find a doctor on our our find a doctor website, you'll see lots and lots of people who are eager to help you to do this the right way. But l- let me share a couple of numbers with you. Uh, we we bring in people who might have a weight problem. They want to lose a bunch of weight, and we will put them on a diet that is totally plant-based with no calorie limit. We're not going to say cut it down to 16, 1700. We're not going to give them a number at all. But the rules we're going to use, and this is the key, no animal products, zero. So no eggs, no meat, no chicken, nothing. But also keep oily foods really low. That's important because all fats, even plant fats, have nine calories per gram. You know that number. Um, so when, the, when that's gone, when the animal products are gone and the oils are really, really low, we then measure how much people are eating. They'll sit down to a meal. They'll say, wow, I'm really full. And then they'll have lunch and they'll have dinner. And you, you, track, down, you track all of their calories in the course of the day. They think they're eating the same amount. But when you add it up, it's two or 300 calories a day less than before. Why is that? Because first of all, everything you're eating is vegan. Everything you're eating is a plant. That means it's got fiber. Fiber has almost no calories. It fills you up really soon. It fills you up before you've overdone it on calories. Number two, you're eating starchy foods, hopefully. Don't, don't be afraid of starchy foods. You know, your bananas and baked potatoes and these kinds of things. Because when they fill you up, they have very few calories. Starch has four calories in every gram, less than half in fat that, that, that you find in fat. So when you're eating high fiber, naturally starchy foods without a lot of junk added to them, what you discover is the weight loss becomes automatic. You're going to hit your goal. Just let it happen. And, and, and don't push it. You don't worry about how many calories you're consuming. Just low fat, no animal products. See what happens. And this is this is pretty interesting because we're talking about feeling full. And Jen even just said that when she ate a lot of those foods that she did feel full, those high protein foods, that, that meat. I've seen that in advertisements recently. I've had that in conversations in my personal life recently. People saying that protein is what makes you feel full and they're neglecting fiber. I'm curious, have there been any like head-to-head studies that test satiety first uh, for high fiber foods versus the high protein meat, low fiber foods? Yeah, uh, great question. All of these things will cause satiety. I mean, a stick of butter will, will cause satiety. All of these <laughs> things do. I mean, they, they do. Fats cause satiety, so do protein, so do carbohydrates. The question is, when you hit your satiety point, stop. How many calories did it take you to get there? So if you're going to fill yourself up with high-fat foods, that's, I mean, that's the worst because they've got, as I said, nine calories in every gram. By the time you're full, you have had a lot of calories. Um, with protein, and now it's hard to tease out the protein from the fat because that egg has the yolk in it or the, the cheese has some protein but a lot of fat. So they're often mixtures. But by the time you've filled yourself up, you've gotten a lot too many calories. That's why the, that's why the people who follow vegan diets are the slimmest of any diet, uh, uh, basically any population group um, compared with fish eaters, semi-vegetarians, omnivores, whatever. The people who never have animal products and keep oils low that's really the way that they get there because they're getting filled up on things that don't have a lot of calories, um, starchy foods, and especially the high fiber. All right, let's grab a couple of more here, and then we've got some exciting announcements to talk about. Um, number one, Tanya wants to know, she sent this to me on Instagram, how can I raise my good cholesterol? And actually, let me jump in there and kind of steal this one and ask you, how would a person know if they need to increase their good cholesterol at all? Okay. 
I'm going to break your heart. I'm going to say, don't bother. Um, and he, it's okay. Let's go back a couple of decades. Researchers discovered a while ago that out of your total cholesterol, the LDL cholesterol is bad. The higher that is, the higher your risk of a heart attack. The HDL cholesterol, high density lipoprotein, HDL cholesterol was the good cholesterol because people who had higher HDL were less likely to have heart disease. Swell. So we all started thinking, well, what's the difference? And it turned out to be partly genetic, that some people just had a high cholesterol. And then the drug companies came in and said, let's come up with something that'll raise your HDL. And they did. They found ways to raise HDL. And you know what happened? Nothing. If you take a drug to lower your bad cholesterol, it's going to reduce your risk of a heart attack. Great. But if you take a drug to raise your HDL, nothing happens. It does not help you with regard to cutting your long-term risk of heart disease. So if you get a a blood test that shows your HDL is one number or another, if it's naturally high, that's good. It It turns out that it is largely under genetic control. And some people have a lot of good cholesterol and they tend to do well. But boosting that level does not help people at all. Uh, That high HDL level is just associated with other factors that do seem to protect the heart. So uh, there's nothing, there's no real reason to raise raise HDL and it's not going to help. If you want to try, high foods high in vitamin C will have a little bit of an effect. Exercise will have a little bit of an effect. Not very huge, but bottom line, focus on your LDL, keep that down. That's where the money's at. And Jessica Rice gets the honor of having the last question at 1226. This sounds like a conversation probably a lot of people watching and listening right now have also had. Uh, Jessica wants to know, is there anyone who should not go on a whole food plant-based diet? Because she says, I have a friend who said they couldn't due to a health condition, but wouldn't say what it was. Really not. Um, for all practical purposes, every everybody at every stage of life can do this. So the baby who is breastfeeding. When you start introducing solid foods, those foods should be plant-based, vegan vegan foods. That child never needs spam, let me tell you. They don't need animal products. They don't need eggs. don't need eggs or any of these things. For growing children, they do their very best on a plant-based diet. These are the ones who grow normally and grow healthfully without so much risk of gaining weight or having a high cholesterol, high blood sugar, high, high blood pressure that we're starting to see in teens nowadays. In older age, we see that the people on the plant-based diets are the most likely to live longer and to be free of the chronic diseases that haunt them. During pregnancy and during breastfeeding, these are all times where a plant-based diet is great. And there's really no common health condition at all that is in any way a contradiction uh, or a contraindication for this kind of diet. So have at it. And you know, I feel like we've learned a lot today, raised our health IQs a ton, um, but there's so much more that we could still learn. And that's why I'm really excited for the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine that begins August 10th in Washington, D.C. What else are we going to learn at the conference that can really continue our conversation today? Oh, I have to say, it's going to be our best conference ever. Uh, We're going to start out on on Thursday, uh, August the 10th, and we're going to focus on protein, uh, the whole new view of protein, which is not just are you getting enough, because you are, but it's could animal protein actually have a toxic effect that increases mortality? So you're going to hear about all, all of that. Um, and then in the afternoon, we're going to look at foods and the brain. This is Thursday afternoon, August 10th. We'll look at foods in the brain. Dr. Dean Ornish will be with us and other great researchers who have been leading the way there. Then on Friday, we're looking at the new data on diabetes, 
We're going to talk about how to integrate nutrition into clinical practice. We're having a huge panel on breast cancer prevention run by Dr. Christy Funk with new information people have never heard about new ways to reduce breast cancer risk. So there's a whole lot more. The whole thing's being kicked off by Senator Cory Booker. Thank you, Senator Booker. And also the editor-in-chief of the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, Eric Rubin, is also giving the uh, welcoming remarks. So this is going to be a big thing, and we're really excited for it. Today. No, it's going to be such a great conference. Of course, you just mentioned uh, Senator Booker, but, you know, bookending that, closing out the conference, Dr. Michael Greger. Also speaking will be Dr. Dean Ornish, Dr. Andrew Freeman, who was a recent guest here on the show, going to be talking about all kinds of research that we've learned just this year alone, the year in plant-based diets for 2023. And mind you, we are only in August as we do this show. So Andrew Freeman is just a phenomenal physician who does a bang-up job with the presentations. Dr. Gemma Newman, also going to be there. Dr. David Katz, who's going to be on the next episode of The Exam Room. He's going to be speaking, as will Brenda Davis up from Canada. I mean, just, it really is a who's who in the nutrition world. And I get so excited for this conference every single year. And, um, and if the speakers list isn't enough to draw you in, Dr. Barnard, let's talk about the food because, man, every year I say there's no way it can get any better. And yet somehow we managed to do it, including this year, because I've seen a sneak peek at the menu and OMG, my friend. Well, you know, it's always terrific. It's always the best food at any conference. But but this year uh, we're having, it's going to be a little bit special because not only are we featuring universal meals and Dustin Harder is there, he's been overseeing what the chefs are making and it's just really, really cool. Um, we have a whole room where you can taste at all these different food stations. But the experts from the New York City Health and Hospital Program, this is the one that's been just an incredible breakthrough program uh, under the leadership of Mayor Eric Adams and, and it's just been changing things everywhere. Their executive chef is coming down. The leaders of that program are coming down. They're talking about how they have just revolutionized hospital food. And once they're done talking, we start eating. Uh, the, the executive chef has been there working with the chefs there to make sure that they are going to feature the foods that you can then bring home with you and, and put into your own hospital, your own school, your own business, or your own kitchen. Right. So pcrm.org slash ICNM to reserve your seat today. And then also, uh, not too terribly long after the conference closes, the very next month, uh, you and your band Carbon Works going to be at a big event at the Narrow Cinema in my hometown of Norfolk, Virginia on September 20th. What can people expect that night? Yeah, this is going to really be fun. It's kind of a hybrid of things. We're, we're going to get started around seven o'clock. And the Narrow Cinema is this age. It's almost a century old right down there on Collie Avenue in middle of Norfolk, uh, big place. We're going to start out talking about health. We'll talk about the very same issues that we're talking about now, and I'll be answering your questions. I'll be there, and it's going to be a blast. And then we're going to turn down the lights. And now we're going to focus on touching the heart with some music and the latest Carbon Works videos. Uh, we have lots of food, lots of drinks. And then after that, we're going to have a live performance by the Harbor Quartet. Allegra Havens and Jeff Phelps and everybody are going to be playing live. So that's all at the NARU and uh, people can learn more about it at pcrm.org slash events. Look at you doing the plug right there with, <laughs> with the website. Okay. Okay. I you memorized that one, Chuck. I love it. Yeah, pcrm.org slash events. And yes, uh, the Narrow is actually right across the street from my old middle school, Blair Middle School. And I remember taking field trips there as a student, you know, some 
20, almost 30. Wow, I'm old. 30 some odd years ago now. And um, it, it really is. It's an iconic place and it's a fun place for a show like this. So uh, I really do hope that everybody in the Hampton Roads, Tide Border area can turn out for that one because it really will be just a phenomenal, phenomenal night. And then uh, our colleague, Ryan Merkley, has been busy right now up on the campus of Wayne State. So let's go to him right now for an important message if we can. We're here because over the last 30 years, hundreds of dogs have suffered and died in cruel, useless heart failure experiments. And we are here to deliver 100,000 petitions to the new university president and urge her to once and for all end these experiments. But we need your help. A generous donor has stepped forward and given a $10,000 one-day matching gift. That means if you donate today, your donation will be doubled. Even if you can't be here with us, you can still support this important work. Please go to pcrm.org forward slash match. Thank you so much. PCRM.org slash match. A hundred thousand signatures. That is a lot, a lot of support we have there, Dr. Barnard. It, it, it is. We've been working hard on this campaign and there are really two good things that are going to come from this. One is we're going to stop the cruel experiments on the dogs there. That's great. When that happens, those dogs can breathe easy for a change. The other thing is that we're moving science toward ethical research. You know, here at the Physicians Committee, we do ethical research studies with people who want to to allow us to study them as they get as they regain their health. That's the kind of research that we really need to invest in. And I think that, you know, it's it's work like that that has really piqued the interest of so many of our supporters, including the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund, which is powering this episode of the Exam Room podcast, because they do. They support organizations just like the Physicians Committee that carry on the love that Greg had for animals. And they do it by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse, while also emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit everyone all people. And you can visit them online right now. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund online at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder spelled R-E-I-T-E-R fund.org. I encourage you to do that and check out all of the amazing work that Allison Mahoney and the crew over there are doing. It really does go hand in hand with everything that we're doing right now at Wayne State with the exam room and all of our ventures, Dr. Barnard. All of these things are going in the same direction. I have to say, Greg had such a heart for animals. Allison has carried that forward in a beautiful way. And by, by supporting this kind of work, what are we doing? We're helping people to regain their health uh, directly. We're helping, helping to support research that's done the right way. We're uh, providing the dietary changes that help the planet to breathe a little bit easier and all the animals that we share it with, too. We have covered so much ground here today. So thank you, Allison and the Writer Fund for helping to make that possible. And Dr. Barnard, thank you for being here, breaking down that big meta-analysis with the exciting results here for vegan, vegetarian diets and the risk of heart disease. Again, for people who are at very high risk of having it or who already have it, that to me is the big takeaway today is that it's never too late. You absolutely can take charge of your health, wouldn't you say? And that's ex exactly right. That's something that we learned from Dean Ornish's research. It's been confirmed ever since. Time is not a not a criterion here. Whatever age you are, now's the time to start. Um, t age is no barrier to progress. There it is. Let's end it right there. Dr. Barnard, I appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you, Chuck. The Exam Room Live every Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Join us. Keep us growing as we build this healthier community. We make the world a healthier place altogether. 
would love for you to take part in these shows. I get such a big kick out of every week when somebody posts in the chat room that they're with us live for the first time. And it's a, you know, it's a big thing for them to be able to ask, in this case, Dr. Barnard, their question right then and there. Like that is just the coolest thing in the world. So every Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And of course, you can get the replay right back here on Thursdays on the podcast. But definitely want to say thank you to everyone who was there with us live again this week. And we were talking about combating the number one cause of death. And when you talk to cardiologists about cardiovascular disease, they're going to tell you that about four out of every five cases are preventable. And so when you're talking about close to a million people every single year, if you can reduce that by 80%, you're talking about saving close to 800,000 lives. And people still don't know that. People are still told that what they eat does not matter. Cardiologists will even tell them if they have not taken the time to study nutrition, if they have not found the study that we're talking about on the show today. And so let's help raise all of our health IQs together. Let's get this meta-analysis, these groundbreaking findings to as many people as possible. And we need your help to do that. And I'm telling you right now, the easiest thing you can do, if you have not already subscribed on Spotify or followed on Apple Podcast, just look for the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on those platforms or whatever you so choose. And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating because every new follow, every new subscription, every five-star rating truly does help to get this information to those who need it the most. And if you want to, you can also let us know in a review on that same page how a plant-based diet has improved your health and what it is that you like about the Exam Room podcast. Take a recent review here from Marilyn. She was just listening to the episode we did recently with Doug Evans, the Sprout Whiz. She left a nice review on Apple Podcasts. She said, I loved listening to the interview with Doug. He can solve world hunger with his sprouts. And thank you for your enthusiasm. I now grow my own. I don't need lettuce anymore. And I just season my sandwiches with balsamic vinegar. That is simplicity at its finest, Marilyn. That sounds absolutely delicious. And I'm telling you, there is no shame in the sandwich game. One of my favorites is a sandwich with just some hummus on there. You throw some sprouts on top of that, maybe a slice of tomato, and a bonus, if you really want to kick it up that next notch, put a slice of avocado on there too. And then a little dash, a splash of balsamic like Marilyn suggests, and that, that is five-star flavor right there. That is five-star flavor to match her five-star review. So if you take a moment, head to the kitchen, make that sandwich, let us know. Welcome to Flavor Country, my friends. And by the way, if you're looking to make a five-star jump in your career, take it to the next level, we are looking for a senior toxicologist to join our team here at the Physicians Committee. And you can learn more about that and all of our open positions right now by visiting pcrm.org slash careers. There's a link to do that right now in the episode notes. And of course, as we talked about today with Dr. Barnard, the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine coming out really soon, August 10th through 12th in Washington, D.C. Reserve your seat today. Not sure 
how many we still have open, but there are a couple. So grab yours today before they are all gone. PCRM.org slash ICNM. CME credits are available for doctors, dietitians, anyone who needs them. PCRM.org slash ICNM. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for being here and helping to raise our health IQs and talking about this important research, this groundbreaking meta-analysis, moving the needle, making a difference. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always... Keep it plant-based.